Tell me a tale. All right. Today we're going to learn about the South African Communist Party. Cool. I know nothing. I'm ready. Empty. Blank slate. You know zero things about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of sad. <laughs> I don't mean it as if, as in like, you're so dumb that you don't know this. I mean, it's so sad that that is very common. So many people don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, I think most people's passing knowledge of South Africa is like British colonialism, apartheid, and then there's just a big blank space. Well, there's a, there's a very important guy everyone knows about also. Oh, Nelson Mandela, yeah. Yeah. But that's also, yeah, that's the extent of it, kind of. There was bad, there was apartheid, there was Nelson Mandela, and now we don't have that anymore. Now there's emerald mines, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> there's plenty of mines. I mean, uh, South Africa had, uh, like, one of its big economic components is, is gold mining, especially in that early history. But I think that carries over as well. I'm not quite sure about their this dumb, a, a communist talking about a country, and he's like, oh, I'm not quite sure about their economy. Like, what am I, <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, you're doing your best. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but let's talk about the South African Communist Party. First of all, we're going to do a little design um, workshop here, or a uh, what is it? A critique, and I'll send you, I'll send you their logo. Well, you've never had the joy of art school, so I will tell you there are rules to a critique. Oh shit! Am I already breaking them? No. Okay. <laughs> You're doing great. You just the basic rule is you can't just say I like it or I don't like it. You just have to explain why you think things work and why they don't work. And if you use fancy words like gestalt, then people are very impressed. Uh, they think highly of you if you do mm-hmm. that? Okay. Mm-hmm. You're smart. All right. Here, we got an issue right away with this logo. Ooh, what is the issue? Well, it's something called tangents. You've probably heard me complain about them before. So we got a star. It's like a black star with a red outline. In the middle of it is a crossed hammer and sickle. But this crossed hammer and sickle has no breathing room in this star. It's just, it's stemmed to stern right up to the edge, but not quite touching that poor red border. Yeah, that's true. All right. So this is the emblem of the, what, South African Communist Party. Okay, great. The the main character. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So they could use a little more breathing room is what you're saying. Okay. I think, yeah, I think. And I don't even know if you need the red outline, just make the whole star red. Like, there's just, you know. And it's not black for South Africa and, and black mm. liberation. Or you can make all of it black. I think that's fine, too. Or Yeah, make the star bigger in relation to the hammer and sickle. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's our advice. They're still around, so maybe <laughs> they they'll could, take they that. They could take this change at yeah. heart. If you're listening, that's, that's what we think you should do. All right. Uh, so why is it important to learn about these guys? Uh, the big thing, I think, is like we mentioned up top, they are really overshadowed and it turns out they play a huge role in the anti-apartheid struggle. And we're just in some cases, deliberately in some cases, accidentally not told anything about them. I mean, I'm shaking my head. Like, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a fucking course. Yeah. And another thing I think that's interesting about them is their stance of being anti-apartheid and fighting for people and fighting with on on behalf of and among people who are dispossessed disenfranchised everything it's a good example of that michael parenti quote where he says like oh people like to say oh the communists they're just power hungry 
They have a weird way of getting there, siding <laughs> with the powerless, right? Yeah, not an efficient route. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, one of my sources that I'm going to be kind of liberally using, but not always saying, oh, this is from this article, uh, is a kind of a book review article by Owen Dowling and Jacobin. Uh, it says, South Africa's communists were crucial to the fight against apartheid. And it's a review of a book that seemed like it was going to take too long for me to read. So I just <laughs> went ahead and did the episode based on an article about the book <laughs> and other research. That's fair. But it's called uh, Red Road to Freedom, A History of South African Communist Party, 1921 to 2021 by Tom Lodge. Okay, cool. All right. So we're going to give a bit of backstory because like we said, we don't or we didn't really know this history or don't know this history currently and are learning it with you. And, and I feel like a lot of you guys are like that too, right? Like Probably. You, you're starting from not a lot of history at best here. So Unless you're South African. If you are, let us know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, including corrections, you know. Yeah, please. Like we love that. <laughs> All right. So South Africa, huge and complex history. We're only going to focus on the part that contextualizes our main subject here, the Communist Party of South Africa. So we're kind of going to go briefly over the colonial history to get it up to that point. They had Germans for a while, no? Dutch. Dutch, that's it. Okay. I was wondering why there's so many German names down there. Yeah. So it's uh, originally colonized by the Dutch East India Company. Yeah, of course. As, uh, as it was called the Cape Colony. It was a slaver society, brutal exploitation, genocidal practices, the works. Uh, that was in 1652, uh, and that just goes on for a long time. Eventually, you have the Napoleonic Wars, where uh, Napoleon ends up kind of in control of uh, those colonies because he's in control of the Dutch. Like, just he just won that, and then the British go fight him and take over the colonies. As a result, so the British are in charge. Obviously, they're imperialist. They're still genocidal toward the natives in terms of expanding inland. But in terms of the colony itself are kind of strangely progressive. They're sort of doing reforms like abolishing slavery, expanding voting rights, this sort of a, you know, capital L liberal reform, kind of that, that tradition in British politics. This upset a lot of the original colonists, the Boers, as the Dutch colonists were called, uh, who were even more racist than the British. Mm-hmm. Are these the ones that make their own racist town? Yeah, yeah. They um, they do that. They trek inland, away to get away from the Brits. It's like this is bad. We don't like you guys. You know, ending slavery and giving people rights and stuff. Uh, they you know get into conflicts and kill more indigenous people. And Jesus. create their own uh, what are called Boer Republics, where you can have as much racism as you want. <laughs> great, great. Then as the British kind of expand and they say these areas are still technically ours, we're letting you guys kind of be out there, but like you need to stop. They get into conflict with the Boer Republics in what are called the Boer Wars. The Boers win one and the British win the second one and they end up annexing them into what becomes South Africa later. Uh, they annex those Boer republics into little British controlled republics, basically. They have a, they sign a treaty to do that, but one of the conditions of this annexation is that the British would acknowledge in South Africa, quote, the just predominance of the white race. 
is this where like I mean obviously apartheid has like deep roots but this is like the formalization of it I guess not quite we're really not to that point of calling it that yet but yeah maybe the roots okay this is in 1902 when that treaty occurs and the Boers they say fine but can we be racist well well it's important to note first that it's not everybody in their group the the, the majority of them I would say yes uh, but there were non-racist ones and we'll encounter <laughs> non-racist white South Africans anti-racist white South Africans throughout the story but this this is kind of the the roots of the Boer nationalists or like the the Afrikaner is what it comes to be known as Afrikaner nationalist sort of grievance that drives what will become apartheid is uh, they're bitter at having been defeated. They're chafing at there being any limitations on their rights to be super racist. (laughs) I mean, I think for us as American listeners, a good analogy is the defeated South after the civil war. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, this sounds familiar. A region that like just wants to be free to do racism. (laughs) Right. And so for a time it's going to simmer under the surface They've just been defeated militarily and they kind of realize like, okay, you know, in our time, in in the American context, it was secession is not going to work. And for them, it's like, okay, being our own countries is not going to work. We have to take political power in through like the constitutional process and everything. Then we can do things our way. (laughs) Okay, great. So that becomes their goal. Still, they're like in the political arena and they're kind of a popular pressure. And so South Africa does start passing laws, restricting voting rights, restricting land ownership for non-whites as early as 1892. uh, And they continue this throughout the rule of the British. So things get worse, even though the British are in control. And uh, the term there, non-whites, is kind of being used as a shortener. But South Africa, uh, from a governmental standpoint, coming from like a historical tradition standpoint, used to have and then kind of continues to use in government like documents that address you know historical wrongs and stuff for broad racial groups okay the so you had white black indian and what what the term is and it's openly used on the wikipedia page and everything so i don't think it's offensive in this context but colored meaning multiracial okay so do they mean Indian in the indigenous sense no. or I mean okay they mean India from India yes yeah okay the, the correct usage correct yeah uh, there were Indian immigrants uh, once it became a part of the of the British Empire makes sense and, and it's kind of complex within that because sometimes Indian South Africans were categorized as into the black category or into the colored category and it was, um, there were other major groups, of course, too, of just like different groups of people. And that worked out weirdly as well. So people of Japanese, Korean, Taiwanese, and Lebanese descent were considered honorary white. Whoa. Yeah. So, so they could like, they could bring, what's a stereotypical white thing? They could. And they could have mayonnaise. Yeah. They were allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> They, they all got a, a complimentary packet of mayonnaise, but it was smaller than the jar you would get if you're full white. Yeah. They got like deck shoes, but they were like <laughs> off-white, off-brand or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. People of Chinese, Indonesian, Malaysian, and Filipino descent got various categorizations, some within colored, some within black. It, it was 
it's seemingly it's no rhyme, no reason. Very arbitrary, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I wonder like how much of it was like colorism too, of just like, well, this this is how you present, you know? Uh, that partially as well as straight up like Nazi race science type stuff of like caliper head shape oh, stuff. Oh dear, okay. Of, yeah. So they, I mean there was a, they like dedicated government resources to this eventually. What? Uh, yeah, I mean like they had they made people register as one. Wow. And then you would have to get it checked to like if, if there was dispute if you're like, no, I'm not this, I'm that, then uh-huh. they would have this whole appeals thing. Crazy. Did they have like uh like blood rules, like the one drop rule? Um, it partially was ancestry, but there were other factors in it as well of like uh, body shape and mm-hmm. uh all all these okay. pseudoscientific so racist stuff. Real fucking racist stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But that like institutional part of it comes later, like the detailed yeah. stuff. This is just to get kind of the terms across. The racial hierarchy in that society generally went white um, in control, then beneath them Indian and colored kind of on the same tier, and then at the bottom black. Uh, so with the Boer Republics taken back into the fold, eventually they're u- united into uh, the Union of South Africa which becomes the basis of the country of South Africa today. It was still a British dominion, but kind of with more self-government, uh, more freedom for them to do more racist laws, uh, which they did. So a symbol of kind of how fucked up things were at that time is the creation of the South African Labor Party, which sounds good. That does sound good. They were sort of democratic socialist, but only for the white working class. Okay, not good. Yeah, so they were like racist wannabes for socialism, you know. What time period are you looking at here? I forgot. So that's 1910. Mm, okay. When the country is created and when you have the Labor Party created there. They were, you know, all about just white workers and protecting them specifically from competition from non, non-white workers. So racist laws, basically. Uh, and it's in this context that in 1912... The South African Native National Congress was founded. Kind of a clunky name, but they eventually workshop it down to the African National Congress, uh, the ANC, which is what it's known as today. Is this the one? Uh, have we heard of this one before? Uh, no, this is different. Um, this one's specifically for uh, for South Africa. Okay. I was thinking of, like, there was a big like pan-african movement and i thought maybe that was somehow involved mm, okay no that is i, I know it's, yeah different thing different thing <laughs> shut it down <laughs> so a, the anc is the group who famously had nelson mandela as a member originally when these guys start out in 1912 they're kind of a conservative uh group but they're made up of kind of elite educated religious professional class type of people Uh, They're focused on petitioning the government for the rights of black South Africans. They they don't get anywhere by that. Surprisingly. I don't think you would. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how they get their start. And it's, it's, it's weak. (laughs) It's weak sauce. Shortly later, you have something cooler in 1915. You have the establishment of the international socialist league of South Africa. Now that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. These guys are, are pretty good. They're the earliest major Marxist party in South Africa. They were founded by a guy named David Ivan Jones, who 
was pretty cool. We can do a whole episode <laughs> on him. He's this white guy, former, he's Welsh. Uh, he was a Christian liberal. He comes over to South Africa. He's initially in the Labor Party. Mm, and then he's like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it, well, he gets radicalized uh, by witnessing uh, people trying to do strikes in the government and brutally crushing them. And so he goes from Christian liberal in the racist uh, Labor Party to an atheist, uh, to an anti-racist. He, he becomes more of a syndicalist, more of a follower of Daniel DeLeon, uh, more pro-IWW, more of a pro-Bolshevik when they come on the scene guy. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so he leads the split of the Labor Party. Him and his followers go form this new group, the International Socialist League, the ISL. Uh, when Basically, when World War I happens, that's like a straw too much. And, natu- you know, naturally the... Classic World War I split. Yeah, the socialist split that we always see. <laughs> and he sides with the cool guys who don't like of course. World War I. Uh, in 1917, this group, the ISL, helped form the first black South African trade union, the Industrial Workers of Africa. And so they, they kind of start organizing. They're, they're a pretty small group, though. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, did... Do they have black members or did they have black members? And like, I guess you preemptively answered my other question was like, how did they interface with other groups? Yeah, uh, the they did have black members. I, I'm not honestly sure if they had any starting out, but they do quickly start gaining recruits um, and actively work to do so rather than just say, ah, we're focusing on helping them but not being of them right and just working together by working in the in black trade unions and like actively trying to make that a thing you know people are like oh shit like you guys like want to actually you know you guys are backing us up yeah (laughs) we're gonna help you help that like we're gonna join you you know so in 1921 the isl merged with some other small socialist organizations in South Africa, uh, one of which was the Marxian Club, which sounds kind of cool. That sounds lovely. uh, To form the Communist Party of South Africa. Okay, I was getting worried. I was like, am I going to have to get another flow chart going? Are we going to have a million different ones? No, yeah, yeah. So so (laughs) those other ones, they're they're very minor. Like, only one of them was named in any of the sources I read. (laughs) So... They, they all merge together. They agree, actually, when they come together, they agree on, like, the, the points that you had to agree on that were issued by the Comintern to be, like, an official Communist Party to join the Comintern. They were like, oh, yeah, this, this is good shit. We want to be in the Comintern. Let's do this. Hell, yeah. So, yeah, the Communist Party of South Africa, that's their original name. Later, mm-hmm. we're going to see them do just a, kind of a barely flip. <laughs> Of cool. the South African Communist Party, but I mean, I didn't even notice, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "We're done. We did it." <laughs> but it's it's the same party. In that's in 1921. The first big action the party faced was in Whitewaters Rand. That's just a, a town in in or a region actually in South Africa. There was something called the Rand Rebellion that happened there at the end of 1921 and in the beginning of 1922, and it started out as a strike by white gold miners uh, against their, the mine owners' plans to replace them with cheaper black miners in response to a fall in gold prices. I mean, see salt of the earth for example of how 
capitalism weaponizes racism. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's a sticky situation to get into, like just to wade in. If you're not thinking in terms of class, if you're not trying to think in terms of both class and racial solidarity too. If you're not right on those, you're going to mess this up probably. Definitely. So the Labor Party, you know, did mess this up. They were Uh kind of backing this up as well. When this goes right on past from a strike, past a general strike, and into an open rebellion against the government. Oh, uh, man. Workers and stuff go on strike with banners that say, Workers of the world, unite and fight for a white South Africa. Whoa. And some of them engaged in violence directed at black miners. Shit. Okay. We are not on message, guys. Come on. Yeah. The Communist Party, uh, their members were like, hey. No, no, no. Don't. Like, that (laughs) is bad. All right. You guys, like, we're we're with you as the working class. But the racist racist shit, no. Like, that is not good. A white South Africa is impossible and would be bad mm-hmm. uh, and workers should organize for better conditions for everybody all together so they did support like they uh, would call it providing critical support right they they mm-hmm. were like yes but, but <laughs> well, yes i mean we'll help you with the part but not you know we don't like that part sort of thing yeah i mean even if you like i'm trying to put myself in in those times of like trying to convince someone of that and and i think that is still an issue today obviously i mean there's a lot of hateful language around immigrants taking jobs and stuff like that so yeah i think i think boiling it down to even if like sure maybe (laughs) even if you want to be racist in your your horrible little heart whatever i'm probably not going to fix that in a day but just from like a logic standpoint of look, as long as there is another group your boss can pit you against, like, he's going to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. It's It doesn't even have to be a moral argument. I think for a lot of people, it carries weight, but for some people, it doesn't. So, And I imagine in those times, it would be harder to start that process. You're in the fucking 1930s or whatever. Like, you got a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. So, the, you know, the party does kind of, the, the kind of awkward best it can in that situation. I, I think it wasn't, a bad position to take, really, given their situation. Uh, ultimately, the government did quickly crush the Rand Rebellion with force, including aerial bombardment. Uh, you Oof. know, fresh off of World War One, you want to try the planes out again, make sure they work. <laughs> you hadn't put them all up yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they they kill 153 people. Jesus. Uh, yeah. The wow aftermath of that was pretty bad too. The government at the time, the South African party, faced kind of a backlash for this, and they lose to a coalition of the racist labor party and the national party, which is just racism. Like they're, they're, mm. They are like Just racism, no labor. Type. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, Single but, issue platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had some other stuff too, but that was like the focus was... <laughs> That's the main thing. Yeah, and it was more anti-British. So it wasn't just like generally white people, but like Afrikaner. What does that term mean? It just means Dutch, but from South Africa? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. mm-hmm. the Dutch South Africans. The South Africans of Dutch heritage. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, they, they team up together to strengthen employment discrimination, to appease the white unions that had just Oof. gotten mad, you know, and just elected them. 
not a great start, I think, for the party, like to accidentally no. get these guys going. But from there, they kind of start to grow more. In the 20s, they push aside the old notion of let how, how, do, how can we win over more white workers uh, to make more and more efforts to recruit non-whites into the party. Like we mentioned before, they were working with black trade unions. They also started working with nationalist organizations like the ANC. Uh, they also helped set up new unions overall. Uh, they also published uh, Isikosa language pamphlets. Uh, and also they were running community night schools, teaching literacy uh, cool. to people. And, you know, of course, like your your base texts for that are going to be like Marxist theory. I mean, do a little the bit of ABCs propaganda. The ABCs of Marxism. Uh, yeah. Actually, one of the books that they did use was uh, uh, Buchanan's um, ABCs of Communism. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, question. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but so we've talked a little bit about the different like racial groups. Um I mean, what are, I guess, the proportions of them? Were there, like, not that many white people? Or, or what are we looking at? Uh, the proportions at the time. Let's see. I do think I have a tab on that somewhere. Okay. In the 1904 census, the percentages were uh, 67% black, 21% white, 8% colored, and 2% Indian. Okay, so we are looking at a majority black population. Yeah. And those are kind of similar to 1960. When you get into, oh, 1921, that's what we were just talking about. It's also similar layout. That seems to be kind of the percentage that you're looking at uh, throughout the apartheid era. Anyway, the 2011 numbers, 80% black, about 9% colored, about 9% white, and about 2.5% uh, Indian. But I guess the, that's basically the same. Well, the, the white fell by a lot there, but yeah, that's what you're looking at. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so the party was still small at this point. By 1928, uh, they had grown their membership by a lot in the black community. 1,600 of their 1,750 members were black. So Oh, wow. Majority black. Yeah. Among the important recruits from this time period, it was a guy named Moses Kotane, uh, who would be the party's general secretary later on uh, from 1939 to 1978. So a big chunk of the time we'll be talking about. He's kind of cool, studied uh, Marxism-Leninism at the International Lenin School in Moscow. That's cool as fuck. Yeah, like, I want to go there. That would be fun. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go to the art school there, but I would still go. <laughs> Tastes different. Mm-hmm. So this turn itself, of course, was a little controversial to maybe some of the old guard and stuff like that. Some of the people who were more into the party because of the World War One split than the racism split. But, <laughs> you know, they weren't ready for that. They left. They got over it. <laughs> yeah, they either got over it or left. There was also an ideological thing they did in these early days in, in the 20s that was also kind of controversial within the party. Uh, they pursued a party line that they, they got from the common turn where they, they went to the common turn meeting and the common turn was like, y'all should do this. And some of the leadership was like, mm, but they did it. Uh, it was, was called it? the native Republic thesis. Okay. Which said the party should advocate for an independent black South African Republic 
as kind of a stage toward a workers and peasants republic. Basically reasoning that the country belongs to the indigenous black population. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, the controversial element came because it was seen as keeping the party from working with more moderate forces like the Mm. ANC to try to just basically fight for majority rule in general. They were like, "Eh, maybe this isn't the right route to take to get to there, basically. Yeah, yeah, I that's that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of folks. Yeah, eventually they drop this policy because they end up working more with the ANC. Uh, they focus more on the majority rule being the first step towards socialism. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that sounds extremely cool to me. But like even modern people would be like, oh, are you sure? You know, like, right. Yeah, that that sounds like a bridge too far for a lot of people. And, you know, we're in 2023. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like that's how people respond to like the land back movement and stuff like that. Right. Colonization really does a number on your mind, too. <laughs> yes, it does. So Ugh. they eventually start working more with the ANC and with labor unions, well, they were already working with labor unions, but one good example of this is the African mine workers strike in 1946. Interesting kind of communist fact here is that the ANC kind of set this up by calling a conference of mine workers together and saying, man, you guys are getting fucked over. Don't you think? I mean, you know, <laughs> boss is making so much money. You guys should be making more money. And they're like, yeah, you know, and they form a union called the African mine workers union. Under the presidency, they they elect one of these guys president, J.B. Marks. <laughs> Not with an X, but with a K.S. Oh, okay, okay. But he was a leader within the Communist Party. He uh, was literally, like, Soviet-trained. He was a graduate <laughs> of the Communist University of the Toilers oh of the gosh. East. You know. This sounds like some, some Trotsky shit of, like, well, let's just infiltrate it. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of. I mean, they, they were totally working hand in hand and then sometimes hand in glove. You know, like, <laughs> Sometimes it was just the same hand. <laughs> yeah. And so they had this guy gets accused left and right of being, well, just from the right, really, but uh, of being a communist or whatever actually was. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, but the strike was brutally crushed. Uh, nine workers were killed and more than 1,200 were wounded when the cops just go in and bust people up. Marx also just wasn't that great at organizing a strike. He'd never really run a labor union before. The important part of this, though, is it's sort of a catalyst that pushes the unions and the ANC and the Communist Party to work closer together. What What is the government currently in this time period? I mean, it, it sounds like it is it is democratically elected. It's just like super fucking conservative. Yes. Well, it's only very limitedly democratically elected because. Mm, yeah, uh, they restricted voting. Right. Voting rights are restricted. Uh, very few non-white people can vote. OK. And within that, it's even worse in like in everywhere. But like the Cape Colony state, uh, which is kind of like the main part of it, I guess. And then you have like the other former Boer republics that are now like states within it. And they're like more racist. For some reason, they get to be more racist within those states. It's, I mean, it's like the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say like, that's not that weird. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. Okay. Okay. So just, I wanted to make sure like I had a good handle on what we were dealing with. Okay. Yeah. Continue. And the, you're saying, you know, kind of the government democratically elected in that way, but also like what type of, 
government or party. And, and the party in charge at this point, um, the Unity Party, I think it is, they are... Unity. They're seen as like pro-British, kind of. Uh-huh. Like, let's be loyal to the Commonwealth and stuff because we're still a part of that. Oh, they um, are? Okay, yeah, they're, shit. They're, like, they're governing themselves, but they're still a part of the British mm, yeah, Commonwealth. Yeah, like Canada. So, yeah. It's just that they like the queen, I feel like, is that what the Commonwealth <laughs> That's is. That's the style, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh, like, we think she's kind of cool, I guess. They're they're more like that. They're they're a little bit more old style conservative of uh, a little bit more maybe businessy elite and a little bit more moderate generally speaking on racial issues. I mean they're still racist, but they're like, still racist, but not like that's not their thing. <laughs> that's not their main reason for getting up in the morning. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the element they're in at at okay. that point during in, in 1946. It, so so they, they start working together. You know, they realize more like these class elements, the anti-racist elements, like these are linked together hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. The flip side to this is it also hastens and intensifies the forces of reaction. Mm, they don't like that. Yeah. They are soon going to crack down with full force on the communists, on the ANC, and on non-whites in general. And to add maybe some context, I don't know, when, when, when I hear about things like, oh, there's, you know, the, their strike was brutally crushed and things like that, like that happens today and it has a long history of happening in the United States. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not just like a thing that happens. Like, it's, it's not weird that that happens, I guess. No, yeah, that should be totally expected if you look at labor history in the U.S. with the Ludlow Massacre... Uh, with the Pullman strike, I mean, we've talked about several of these on the show of, of when they just go out there and and brutally murder. You know, uh, Battle of Blair Mountain, they're over there doing airstrikes on on miners in West Virginia. Jesus. In the 20s, in, you know, 20 years before this. Yeah, so we're, we're not immune to it. It happens, it happens in other countries as well, for sure. Good point. Okay, continue. New reactionaries. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let them have their say. Oh, good. Now we're going to get to... I think they're already doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I've had enough, actually. I think they're done. Well, this one's the... This one, this whole thing is a lot in terms of... It was was just a lot to be reading about. (laughs) Oh, I bet. So uh, so I'll dump it on you. (laughs) Great. Trauma dump. The term apartheid is going to come into play here. This is the beginning of it. We've been avoiding it because it's, it's... I wanted to refer to that specific legal regime... In this context, you know, you can also refer to, you know, apartheid to similar types of regimes, say the state of Israel or whatever. (laughs) This is an example. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Or just the U.S. in general. Mm -hmm. But but I I wanted to specifically mean, in this case, the South African racist regime here. So, I mean, you had a lot of racist laws, but not a whole, 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 whole system dedicated yet. In 1948, this is going to change thanks to the assholes at the National Party. So the National Party are the ones, like we mentioned before, the real racist guys. Mm -hmm. Just mask off. (laughs) Yeah, and they've been kind of gaining power, gradually appealing to more people. And when all the tumult happens in 1946, the government puts together a study. All right, the, the United Party, and they're like, 
they're like, oh, what what's going on? Like, why are people so mad? And they're like, hey, you know, maybe we should change some of the segregation stuff. Causes a lot of tension. Uh, we don't want to throw it all away, but let's relax it some. Okay. And the National Party was like, that's fucking bullshit. We're going to do our own commission. <laughs> that shows racism is good, actually. Yeah, it says exactly <laughs> the opposite. Say. So the government one was called the Fagan Commission. The 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 racist one was called the Sour Commission. And it says, yeah, do more segregation. Like, do it more strictly. Be more of a dick. Uh, protect white workers and white businesses. It also says, like, our goal here is not really just to separate schools and facilities and stuff, but, like, entire cities. <gasps> Everyone should completely be separated out into different living areas Whoa. and just all that. And so okay. they take that those findings and they say, that's our election platform in this upcoming election, 1948 general election. That's us. We're com- We're going to do what they call apartheid, literally meaning aparthood or separateness. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to do society like this, completely separate. Fuck. Okay. That is rough. Yeah. With, uh, within their conception of that, within their party, they kind of have different wings of people who say these are the the supremacist side, which says uh, we want the white people, of course, to be like the best. Uh, <laughs> but it's like cool if like non-white people are there in society working if they're in a subservient position like this is fine we just want to be racist right <laughs> uh then you had the like the purists uh or the, the they called it something like the vertical vertical apartheid or something like this where we're like okay now actually well this is going to kind of suck in the short term but long term we want literally them to have a completely different society we don't want anyone wow. in di- of different races working together or living together like at all like they should not be there they should have their own completely different place they shouldn't be crossing over or anything like that okay and kind of the middle ground of that was that's the goal but we're gonna let we're just gonna do the racist supremacist part first (laughs) and then gradually get to the completely separate part and you mentioned like race science earlier i imagine that was used a lot in their so-called report they were, it wasn't so much in the report because they were all of the assumption that, uh, of these racist assumptions of, of we're different people. We understand that really they didn't use that so much for justification as just for categorization. Like, uh, enforcement, I guess. Yeah. There were enough people of that mind that they didn't really need, they weren't like trying to win people over to it so much. And if the only people who can vote are white people, then yeah. <laughs> there you go. 1948 general election. Uh, the increasingly unpopular kind of moderate viewed as elitist United party uh, runs against the national party. And uh, because they have a first past the post system that gives way more votes to rural areas. Tell me if that sounds familiar, (laughs) man. Uh, Okay. This could just be called like Texas, the episode, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the national party got fewer votes, uh, but still won the most seats in parliament. So, if you're wondering, on the scorecard there, yes, you can blame uh, first-past-the-post voting uh, for George W. Bush, for <laughs> Donald Trump, and for apartheid. <laughs> Pretty good record. Yes, Sounds yeah. like a great system we should totally keep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, lovely. There's also an interesting anti-communist element to 
the National Party's campaign. Ooh, okay. What'd they say about us? Well, their election materials were warning voters not only of a black peril, mm-hmm. but of a red peril. <laughs> Those are great colors, though. Have they not heard Les Mis? <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> I should have just been more cultured. <laughs> It wasn't around yet. I mean, the book was, I guess. But right, but it didn't have Who actually, would read that? They don't have the songs in there. They don't have the songs yet. I'm not going to read the book. Unless it's one of those, like, greeting cards. <laughs> you open it and it sings the song. <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. So, you know, they'd had recent labor unrests that were, I mean, both accusedly and actually communist linked. <laughs> uh, they painted the current prime minister... As a commie sympathizer, for stupid reasons, um, like he I'm was not. Bet he wasn't. No, uh, he, <laughs> no. The reason was that he had a good relationship with Stalin when they were allies in World War Two. I mean, I mean, yeah, we did too. <laughs> uh, which also, World War Two was kind of also unpopular because of like it caused a lot of rationing in South Africa. It was very far mm. away. And they kind of had a similar racial ideology. Yeah, I was gonna to say the other side. So I thought they were gonna go the other way hard on that. I'm surprised. Well, it was a little. I too guess because they're you know British friends. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're gonna alienate all of them for sure. Yeah. And they really didn't emphasize like the anti-British Republican sentiment. Some people were saying, "Let's go be a republic," you know, separate from the British. They weren't really pushing that because they were trying to win over more like. Uh, Regular old racists. Yeah. And a lot of people who weren't trying to be racist, but who had bought into all the racist arguments in terms of economics, like keeping your job and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Self-protective. Yeah. So uh, they win. They don't get as many votes, but they win. Uh, And when the National Party comes to power, they start doing apartheid. They start passing all these laws and really entrenching themselves, uh, they don't lose an election till the end of apartheid. Jeez, and that's like what the is that the nineties? Nineteen ninety four. Hey, I got it. Thanks, Disney Channel original movie, The Color of Friendship. <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety four <laughs> is when they have the first uh, non racist elections. Basically, all racial groups can vote. Universal suffrage. There you go. But yeah, so they start passing all these uh, terrible laws. We're going to lump them in here together. All these have like years after them, you know, the this law of this. But I just cut it off to make it less confusing of this than that then, you know. Tell me all the horrors. One, Population Registration Act. This is where you have to go to the government, get an ID card with your uh, racial group on it, uh, where they break out the calipers and make sure that yeah. you have the right uh, dimensions to be Skull. whatever they say you are. Jesus, Okay. Uh, they passed the Group Areas Act, which assigned different racial categories to different residential and commercial areas. They forcibly moved people to comply with it, regardless of their familial status. So you could Didn't like matter. break up families because someone's black and someone's colored. And wow, there you go. Uh, they had a series of acts called the Bantu Authorities Act, the Promotion of Black Self-Government Act. And the Black Homeland Citizen app, which set up what were called Bantu stands or Black Homelands. Okay. Uh, these were, in effect, reservations uh, for yeah. different black ethnic groups. 
the government billed these as giving autonomy and self-government. But really, this was a way of segregating people essentially into ghettos, removing their representation, and importantly, transferring their citizenship rights from South Africa to that local area, to that reservation, saying, so, like, you're not a citizen when you're not there. You're not a citizen of South Africa. That's stripped. You're only a citizen of that place. Wow. So they can't, like, leave, I guess? They could sort of leave, but that was very controlled. They had pass Mm. laws, so you had to have, like, documents and stuff when you were going. And they passed the uh, Native Laws Amendment Act to make that even stricter. Non-whites were basically not allowed to stay in urban areas outside of where they were assigned longer than 72 hours without a permit. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. So millions of people were forced to relocate. Um, They passed laws to be able to tear down uh, neighborhoods and, you know, rebuild white neighborhoods where they wanted or whatever. God, it's like they looked at, like, the trail of tears and we're like, we're going to do that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's what Hitler did. So yeah, they did the same thing. (laughs) They're like, we love those ideas. Is that meme where like everyone's looking over to copy off of the person (laughs) beside them or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They had the reservation of separate amenities act, which is like, it sounds it's segregation of Uh, public facilities. (laughs) That one, not a lot of dressing on. Uh, They had the black education act, which set up a shitty system of schools for non-whites. Yeah, a lot of the names are like, look at look at us, we're building a black utopia, like mm-hmm. almost stealing that language of like, we want a black ruled South Africa, but then doing it in the worst possible way. Yeah, the opposite. Uh, mm-hmm. They spent about 10% per student compared to what they did on whites. 30% of the schools had no electricity. Uh, 25% didn't have running water either. Jesus. Only a third of the teachers there were qualified. <laughs> the rest were just some guys. Just people they found, yeah. Wow. And this was by design. The Minister of Native Affairs, a guy who we'll talk about a little bit later in his demise, a guy named Hendrik Verward. He was like, I mean, he was in charge of all, all stuff to do with the non-white population and considered the architect of apartheid. Hell of a tombstone. His quote was, there's no place for them in the European community above the level of certain forms of labor. Wow. What is the use of teaching the native child mathematics when it cannot use it in practice? It also is an interesting I thought pronoun. That, yeah, I thought that did a lot of work in that sentence. Wow. So that was a Black Education Act. Yeah. Yeah, the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act. It's, I was wondering if they're going to get to miscegenation. Yeah, that's that's what it is on the label. That's that's that. Uh, mm-hmm. They also had the Immorality Act going a step further and saying, aside from marriages, though, you also cannot like. There's no there's no extramarital sex between whites and non-whites either. Damn. Okay. Um, and of course, everybody's favorite, the Suppression of Communism Act, literally called that. <laughs> try to hide that one of like the national security act no i think later they do rename it to something of that effect uh (laughs) they rename it i think you guessed it uh, the internal security act i was so close (laughs) Uh, so suppression of communism act banned the communist party of south africa uh, and made it illegal 
to be a communist. Now, you, you, you may be asking, what's a communist, right? I mean, I'm pretty well aware of it at this point, but, but sure. if you get into the nitty gritty details, like that's a notoriously hard question for communists to answer about other communists. <laughs> Is this a real that's communist? That's how we're Yeah. <laughs> the law solved all of those issues by just being overly broad and saying um, it was any scheme aimed at achieving change by the promotion of disturbance or disorder or any act <laughs> encouraging feelings of hostility between the European and non-European races calculated to further disorder. Wow. Okay. So just like I'm, this is like you made yourself king. Your first rule is like no one gets to argue with the king. Yeah. And I really this like wishing the, for more wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the language of encouraging feelings of hostility between <laughs> that reminded me so much in the modern terms of the like CRT laws that they try to do, which is like banning mm, yeah. any lessons that make you feel guilty for being a different, <laughs> you know, it's, <sighs> it's like for the facts and reasons and logic side, uh, they do a lot of feeling <laughs> stuff. They really do. (laughs) Wow. Cool. But yeah, don't try to do change or... No change. (laughs) The no change. (laughs) That's insane. That's a crazy thing. Just be like, actually, it's illegal to disagree with me. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yes. It was decided by like the Minister of Justice after a two-week appeal period, which was sort of nominal. No one ever got these overturned. Bam. You were labeled a communist, uh, and that just could not be reviewed. Uh, you could be imprisoned uh, or you could be banned, which is a different thing than banishing. Mm, okay. So like you just couldn't get a job or something or it ba- effectively would do this because it made it really hard to have a job. So banning would orders. Would you get a communist card? Yeah. You, they just stamp you. <laughs> they measure your skull and then they give you a communist card. Yeah. You're none of the other four groups. You're a communist. <laughs> or maybe you're both. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so this restricted where you could live who you could have contact with uh, and made you report weekly to the cops. What the fuck? It restricted your travel. Uh, you were banned from attending any meetings, which would be three or more people. <laughs> so like just no, no friends, no friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could not speak in public. Just at all. Yeah. No, they, I, I think they, they mean, mean like publicly us, speaking. Yeah. I don't think you they, don't have to like thanks. pantomime everything at the store. Oh, you're a communist then. Yeah. That's how they know. <laughs> this person must be a communist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Publishing and distributing any materials. Uh, you couldn't be covered in the media at all. <laughs> Even if you like got murdered or something. Yeah. And that's similar to what they did to um, Jerry Adams and, and Sinn Féin. They had a voice ban on him to where if they did interviews or something with him, they'd have to have like a narrator read like kind of a summary of what he had said. Wow. So yeah, violations of any of these conditions could lead up to five years of imprisonment. Jeez. Okay. So once again, this is bad, obviously for communists. It's also bad for people who are just trying to like do regular change too. like, you just get all those things thrown at you. Right. This is super dangerous society. You didn't have to literally be a communist to get it hit with punishments from the Suppression of Communism Act. It was so broad that they could just do that to anybody who was complaining. Wow. Cool scapegoat. Yeah. People started fighting back against this. Let's get back to our main characters here. Mm-hmm. The Communist Party. What were they doing when all this pops off? They were dissolving their party. Bef- even before the act came into effect, 
it was they basically preemptively canceled themselves uh <laughs> said hey we're, we're about to get hit we know they're mm-hmm. gonna do this uh and so they dissolved themselves to say hey we're gonna push um we're gonna support the anc help them but just do it as individual like we're not gonna have a party which was kind of controversial a uh, minority of the party wanted to keep the structure and stuff just go underground and so kind of keep that party discipline but still do that part about helping out the ANC above ground right help them fight apartheid but secretly have discipline that's so risky at first they do dissolve themselves but later in 1953 a group of the old party says let's actually bring that back that was good for discipline and everything so they revive it as an underground party and that's where they get the slight name swap of South African Communist Party. It's at this point that they start to ally way more with the ANC. And this is because the ANC underwent a big leadership change in late 1949 in response to the election of the National Party. What good is petitioning these guys going to do? It's illegal to make requests for change. Yeah. What do you even do? I guess, like how underground, like, was it a super surveillance state? Like, it seems so fucking dangerous to try anything, even ANC stuff. Yeah, uh, it was super dangerous. We're going to see a lot of people thrown in prison, right? Yeah, it's going to be super heavy handed. They're really trying to test it out. They don't know what the government's capable of or willing to do, what the international community will stomach. And it's going to be, it's kind of a growing process. Yeah, I'm like, well, let's let's test it out. <laughs> yeah, the ANC and the Communist Party are both going to be trying to figure out, like, what can we do? What do we have to resort to? That sort of thing as, as the story progresses. In December 1949, the youth wing leaders of the ANC take over, the new generation of leaders. This includes a man named Walter Sisulu and, of course, the most well-known of South African freedom fighters, Nelson Mandela. The new leadership here was more strident. They were more committed to actively resisting apartheid with protests instead of petitions. Good. Good start. So, yeah, they started taking actions like civil disobedience, uh, strikes, uh, boycotts. They were still nonviolent, but way more active and way more mass action oriented. Yeah, yeah, totally. They were also more communist. I was going to ask, but I was, I was nervous. I'm like, did he have a touch, a touch of the socialism? He had more than a touch. (laughs) Ooh, I love that. This is something that I knew that I learned only in researching this topic. Cause he's, he's everybody's liberals favorite. Oh yeah. And just like Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. they only ever say about how he was peaceful and how he loved everyone and how he wanted to be nice and wanted to be good and get along. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And just like Martin Luther King, they never talk about how he was talking about socialism, how he was talking about being anti-war. God damn it. There's a lot of famous people like that. Helen Keller, yeah. Einstein wrote about socialism. Like, what a coinkadink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both of these leaders, yeah, Nelson Mandela, uh, were not only secret members of the Communist Party, like not actually in 1949 Mandela joined in like the fifties, but they were also literally on its central committee. So like in leadership, (laughs) 
So he was playing both sides of the table. <laughs> yeah, Mandela was what that was a like top secret thing and it was only released by like it was only admitted by both the ANC and the Communist Party like after he died. Wow. Yeah, they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, he was he was actually." He was both. He was a communist. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh man. That's annoying though. I wish he could have been like, "Yeah, I was totally a communist." <laughs> he does have writings where he openly admires uh, Marxism and he does talk about basically being a socialist or, or supporting the ideals of socialism but that's not entirely consistent with other things that he says at different times I mean he's a politician he's he's playing to his audience all the time you know that's fair stupid question maybe um I don't know when I hear like civil disobedience and stuff I mean this is before the civil rights movement right uh, yeah, this is this is talking well, about. I mean, it, there it's happening. It's just like a little more nascent, I guess, in the United States. Right. It is um, before what we think of as like the height of the civil rights movement. And when we're talking about boycotts and huge demonstrations like this, uh, that is actually uh, one of the inspirations uh, to things like the Montgomery bus boycotts in 1955. And, and that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 definitely a part of it. Of seeing that in action. I wouldn't say of seeing that work. So, <laughs> Oh, dear. Let's see. What happens? So that's the new course. And these guys aren't the only. It's not just the leadership, but kind of throughout the ANC, you start to see, or it starts to be revealed later, uh, that you do have these dual member people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Especially within leadership of ANC. They're good at, like you said before, with the, like the Trotskyist angle. Is, they're they're actually doing that, basically, they're but totally. not yelling about it. You know, they're secret. Yeah, yeah they're not like, oh, now I'm starting my own thing. They're like, no, I'm just, I'm stealth. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's kind of cool. You get it's to have the party cool discipline in your own meetings, where it's like you and the other Marxist-Leninists are like, you know, you're doing your thing, and you're planning on how to, and then you're going to go and use that those tactics and stuff to like secretly kind of push <laughs> like-minded people in 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 regards yeah. to in regards to the fight against apartheid like-minded people into saying like what if you know what if we push this further and stuff that's so cool <laughs> yeah I, I think it ultimately ends up being pretty successful we'll see how it goes but the nonviolent resistance part the anc launches the defiance campaign Ooh, that's a cool name yeah so it's a large-scale series of sit-ins demonstrations they go and, and they publicly burn their passbooks, the, the documents that they need to go from place to place. They just get arrested in mass numbers. They fill up the jails, you know, uh, this sort of thing. In response, the government very even-handedly passes the Public Safety Act, which is not as nice as it sounds. Is it just banning any sort of demonstrations? Uh, they could do that, among other things, because it gave them the power to declare states of emergency and rule by decree. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, the government massively cracks down. Uh, the defiance campaign gets called off in 1953 uh, with mixed results, kind of. I mean, they did get a lot of people arrested and stuff. Uh, the membership of the ANC swells from about 7,000 to about 100,000. Holy shit. Wow. So they kind of take off. So even with people getting thrown in jail, they're, they're still growing. Yeah. People are like, oh, I want to be, you know, you're right. This is fucked up. You guys are fighting it. We want to join you. That's so cool. Uh, the government briefly relaxed some apartheid measures to kind of ease tensions, but like very, very briefly and very, very minorly relaxing them. 
before they're like, okay, we got our shit together again. Boom, we're going to be back. Wow. Uh, okay. Was that just while they got that super restrictive, like, martial law basically passed? Uh, yeah, it was sort of to give them, give them room to operate. Yeah. And, and get things going again. The Communist Party also cooperated with the ANC uh, to launch what was called the Congress of the People in 1955. It was a big meeting of delegates from different congresses, kind of like the African National Congress, uh, different groups of people were organizing mm-hmm. in their own way. So you had the South African Indian Congress, uh, the cool. South African Congress of Trade Unions, uh, the Colored People's Congress, and the South African Congress of Democrats, which was sort of like, a, I don't think it was exclusive, but it was like where the other congresses would send the white people who wanted to be in there. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it was, it, it says on their page, like the white, but I, I imagine there wasn't a lot of kicking out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's a self-organizing. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, these are all our, our own groups. Like, can you over here? Thanks. For good reasons, we do not trust white people right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take your help, but like, organ- go over there, please. <laughs> go in that corner, please. <laughs> uh, and so they all met, and they hammer out something called the Freedom Charter. Okay, what's this? So this was like the, their kind of goals, you know, their demands for a post-apartheid South Africa you know, where the people would govern, people would have equal rights, you know, universal suffrage, uh, equality before the law, general stuff like that, you know. But it also had sort of a social democratic direction, too. It had references to a people's democracy. It had an economic clause that said we should do nationalization of industry. It said that people should be free to form trade unions you know people should have uh, full unemployment benefits men and women should have equal pay for equal work still don't fucking have that people should have the right to be decently housed rent controls free medical care so kind of light socialist shit like that you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the reason that was there was largely part of the the kind of directing of, of some of the kind of open secret party members <laughs> within the the Congress of Democrats, like the the white Congress, basically. And also super, you know, the top secret member, communist <laughs> members in the ANC. Yeah, they're like, well, we're making declarations. What do y'all think about these? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of these guys, uh, communist party member Lionel Rusty Bernstein. <laughs> That's uh, a great name. He was like, what if we, I mean, people's democracy, that sounds good, right? What if we had to say yeah. um, the mineral wealth should belong to the people? Sounds uh, pretty banks good. And, and industries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Freedom Charter, like we said, becomes kind of the rallying cry for the anti-apartheid movement. And wouldn't you know it, when they get out of the meeting, they're immediately raided by the cops. Not a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mandela, this, I saw this only in one source, but it was said like straight faced. Uh, (laughs) They were like JK. (laughs) Yeah. That Mandela, uh, who was under ban orders at the time for the defiance campaign, escaped arrest disguised as a milkman, (laughs) which is, I was just bringing the milk. (laughs) (laughs) That's an awesome disguise. If true. Like, I hope that's true. That's funny. I really, yeah, that's pretty great. He's like, don't play me. I'm just the milkman. Yeah. <laughs> so they get raided. So that's in 1955 and 1956. 
uh, the government does some more raids and arrests 156 opposition figures and puts them on trial for treason under the Suppression of Communism Act. I was going to say treason sounds like it's going to be death, but maybe not. Uh, treason could carry the death penalty, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, uh, this just checking. in 1956, called the 1956 Treason Trial. Very original. Uh, <laughs> this uh, trial takes a long time. Takes till 1961, because uh, there's all these delays and stuff. But they've got lots of people put on trial. Some of the communists involved in that. Mandela, Sisulu, a guy named Joe Slovo, who we'll talk about later. Ruth First, uh also a communist activist and uh, Joe Slovo's wife, Rusty Bernstein, who we mentioned. Rusty. Yeah. That's the yeah, <laughs> picture him down home, you know, hey, <laughs> just call old Rusty if you need any communism. Just Rusty. Uh, Yusuf Dadu, who was the leader of the South African Indian Congress, uh, Jackie Ehrenstein, Sonia Bunting, Moses Kotane, who was the secretary. He was like one of the leaders, right? Yeah, he's secretary general of the, yeah. Yeah. So he got rounded up. He got caught. And Alex Laguma. And there were there were there were more as well, but that's kind of what I had as just highlighting kind of the communist member literal communist members involved, <laughs> not just simple. <sympathizers>. The actual <laughs> communists. Yeah. All of them were surprisingly found innocent because they couldn't find them guilty of actually inciting violent rebellion. But they had this big, long, drawn out trial. They had all these People of different racial groups sitting together in that trial, all showing solidarity with each other. There's a big kind of moment of unity. And these groups realize, hey, like... This is something. Yeah, this this is going to work. And it's interesting because they get found innocent of inciting any sort of violent rebellion, but it's at a time when they're actually making that transition. <laughs> they're like... You didn't plan anything, and they're like, not yet. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and, and the reason is, is quite tragic. Uh, during the course of the treason trial, we said that lasts till 1961. In 1960, uh, you have an event called the Sharpville Massacre. You had around 7,000 people uh, show up to protest at a police station against the pass laws. And their numbers swelled to 20,000. Wow. You've got about 20 cops in the station that are incredibly nervous, even though people are being peaceful. Uh, the commander on duty said in a statement after, quote, the native mentality does not allow them to gather for a peaceful demonstration. For them to gather means violence. Whoa, 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 whoa. Cool. Cool and normal thing to say. Cool and normal. And wouldn't you know it, he brought the violence. Uh, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> And then he started blasting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what happens. Uh, the police oh opened fire God. on the crowd with tear gas and then with real bullets, even against Jesus. fleeing protesters. Jesus 69 Christ. people were killed, including 10 kids. Oh. And uh, 180 were injured. The government followed up their brutal crushing of that protest by banning the ANC altogether. What the fuck? Said, Obviously, that's their fault. They're the ones always rabble rousing definitely not the fault of the cops who just started blasting up a crowd no and you know of course they came out and said oh they threw some rocks and stuff so we unloaded <laughs> on them right <laughs> yeah a reasonable response to rocks yeah at this point the anc and the already banned communist party realize nonviolent resistance is just going to get us killed we need to have at least in our arsenal an armed struggle 
Like we need to be ready to do that. We need to be willing to do more shit. And so this is part of that evolution of their position on it. It's like, okay, that didn't work. Okay, we have to go to the next thing. Understandable. How do you bark on with monsters? Yeah, for real. So June 1961, the ANC and the Communist Party collaborate again, and they launch a paramilitary wing. Ooh, what are they called? Called Umkonto We Sizwe. The abbreviation for this that I'll use is MK. Its translation is roughly the spear of the nation. That's cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a recruiting tool. They got tool. a cool logo? Uh, yeah, they do. Let me show you. I hope it's got a cool spear. It does. Be weird if it didn't. It's on brand, yeah. <laughs> it's just a flower. <laughs> oh, that's sick as hell. Hopefully it's got a guy's like dagger on his belt there. Hopefully. <laughs> I thought that was like a piece of cloth. Oh, it could be a piece of cloth, but the rest of the cloth is white. That's a shadow. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a piece of cloth. It's a cool logo. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> it's dope. All right. So they formed yeah. this paramilitary wing. Technically, they claimed to be like separate from mm-hmm. the other parties, but... I love how many secret clubs there are. <laughs> <laughs> but like kind of everybody knew. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were just like, no, but that's not us. You know? That's not me. It's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, they focused on sabotage and destruction of property as a way to escalate but not kind of minimize casualties uh they were assisted in training uh with supplies and with money uh from various communist countries hell yeah Uh, i was waiting for it so from algeria which was pretty close i didn't know algeria was in on it that's cool cuba hell yeah love those guys yeah, pretty much mostly good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, good, but just most of the things they did. Were most of the things are pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Egypt, uh, like under Nasser. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eastern European socialist states uh, and the Soviet Union. Hell yeah. The reason that they were helping out this paramilitary and uh, the whole, like, anti-apartheid movement is, I mean, largely to be chalked up to that connection to the communist party without that you don't have that ready-made pipeline and you probably don't have as willing of an anc to get that aid you know it took people in their leadership who were secretly on both sides to (laughs) say hey hey man like what if i know a guy (laughs) yeah like and you maybe some of it was like you don't have to see the inner workings or maybe some of it was kind of convincing and saying like it's it's for a good cause you know you don't have to agree with everything they're gonna help yeah so that's so cool. Yeah, that was super important. A big, you know, underrated component of their contribution to uh, the fight against apartheid. Yeah, I've never heard of them. Yep. <laughs> and I've only heard of the civil disobedience. So interesting. Yeah, this, this part was used to be kind of a controversial part of the popular history that people knew because it, the people were just coming out apartheid and you had like something later when they get independence or not independence but when apartheid ends they have the truth and reconciliation commission and they went over all this stuff and and people knew that there was you know an escalation that there was violence you know and violence was done you know on on both sides with vastly different causes uh people knew about that and they knew mandela had a role in that and then gradually that was just like just totally washed away yeah that's nuts we were young. I think we didn't have as much of a chance to 
internalize that at all. <laughs> no, nope, I just got that decom movie. That's it. <laughs> but I wonder how many, you know, people who were adults then no longer remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're good at forgetting our history. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. So the MK, the paramilitary arm, was very small scale at first and really for a long time. Uh, but eventually they escalate. They're able to kind of build their power up and, and support system up and their clandestine networks, all that. And they escalate to bombings, uh, which do end up with civilian casualties, uh, kind of as, as collateral. A lot of times targeting like government buildings and stuff, they do blow up people. They also do a failed and, and pretty short-lived landmine campaign. Whoa. Which is aborted because when you leave landmines out, you don't know who's going to step on them. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it's just some rural farmer on a road. So It's, it's a bad one. They were trying yeah. to get like government patrol vehicles and shit. That's a roll of the dice. Not a good move. Yeah. So they cut that out eventually. Uh, but that's a little ways down the road when they start the bombing and everything. Right now they're just getting started in the early 60s. It's August 5th, 1962 that Mandela... By this point, on the run for a while from the authorities, you know, doing various milkman <laughs> costumes and stuff. Uh huh. Literally, one of his costumes, like as a gardener or something like that, <laughs> that he would—he's like a traveling That's gardener so or something. <laughs> well, he had a nickname too. I think it was David the Walker or something. Mm. Something kind of cool. He gets arrested by the South African police. How'd they find him? Well, they were tipped off. Oh, fuck. Who do you think tipped him off? I don't know. Do we have a traitor or? It's not a traitor. It's some of our. Okay. Just some of the people who we love the most on this show. Uh, Fascists. Yeah, you're not wrong. Oh, but the CIA. The, the CIA. CIA. <laughs> the CIA. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Dave and Dan, you bastards. Mandela kind of was actually uncertain of this. And he was like, eh, not sure. But they actually have. People have. Former agents and stuff have said that. Yeah, yeah, we did. No, we totally did that. <laughs> Jesus, what pieces of shit. Uh, what was, okay, what was the United States interest in this? Uh, they suspected Mandela was a communist sympathizer or a communist. Okay, well, not wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, well, they, the ANC, they, they wanted to help the apartheid government as a bulwark against communism. Wow, that's so shitty. They go arrest him. He's charged with inciting workers' strikes which, yeah, illegal, and leaving the country without permission because he, you know, had to get, like, passes and stuff like that. He goes to trial. The guy we mentioned earlier, Joe Slovo, who eventually becomes, like, one of the general secretaries himself in the party. Uh, He's his legal advisor, but the lead counsel is Mandela himself. Nice. Kids never do this. Never represent yourself. (laughs) I don't care how smart you are. Uh, you could be a lawyer, but uh, the main reason that you never represent yourself is you want to have visibly and auditorily somebody in the, in the courtroom besides you telling people that you're innocent or that you're good. Mm. Like uh, anyone's going to defend themselves, but you want someone else, even if he's paid money to do it, (laughs) to be out up there saying, yeah, my client is innocent. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. PSA. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> don't try it kids so man but mandela tried it because he's kind of making a statement he was a yeah. bad lawyer at this he refused to call witnesses he kind of delayed proceedings by wearing traditional clothing instead of dress code or whatever and they end up finding him guilty and sentencing him to five years in prison meanwhile 
the police raided a farm in Ravonia, a suburb of Johannesburg, which was a safe house uh, for the ANC and the Communist Party. Oh, no. Uh, on July 11th, 1963, they arrest a bunch of people and eventually indict 10 of them, including, this is kind of dumb, but Mandela, who was not even there. He was in jail, uh, <laughs> but he was indicted for being connected to the whole. They saw thing. like his, his like pajamas hanging up. Or, <laughs> they saw something saw like his, his diary Man was disguise. there. <laughs> like, like, Mandela's been here. <laughs> yeah. So they get charged. Uh, Mandela, Sasuli. Rusty Bernstein again. Rusty, not again. Uh, yeah. Dennis Goldberg, uh, Govan Mbeki, who is the secretary of the MK, Raymond Malaba, and Elias Mozart Letty. Uh, again, just the communists of the number, since they're our story. Wait, so other people got arrested with them, though, you're saying? Yeah, way more people, uh, several more people got arrested with them, and then more people to total up to 10. super cool ones. Yeah, got indicted. Gotcha. Uh, one guy actually ran away. He was indicted and then he like fled the oh, country. Shit. And then they put his lawyer up on charges <laughs> on the same treason charges for like helping fuck? him. Oh, even though sucks. he didn't. And the judges threw it out. They were like, no, this guy's not. Come on. This guy did not fucking Just do this. Just his lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> the charges were recruiting persons for training in the preparation and use of explosives and in guerrilla warfare for violent revolution and sabotage and uh, conspiring to do this and, and aid to foreign military units and acting in ways that further the objectives of communists and, and receiving money from other countries too, which I mean, you know, some of this they did. I mean, yeah, but it's all cool things. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree. Oh, in theory, Dave and Dan, in theory, historically in this context, it's very cool. <laughs> so this is the Rivonia trial. And it's at this trial that Mandela gave a famous speech and a kind of long winded speech. If we're being honest, it was three hours long. <laughs> Holy shit. How do you even do that with your voice? I've talked for like 30 minutes and stuff and I'm like, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> uh, three hour long speech that came to be called his I am prepared to die speech. Mm, okay. So very dramatic. Yeah. Uh, it was inspired by Fidel Castro's history will absolve me speech. Yeah. Uh, which, if you remember, that was when they caught him for raiding the Moncada barracks. He said, fuck it, I would do it again. You know, mm -hmm. like, history will dissolve me. So in this speech, Mandela defended the transition to violent means and said, essentially, you guys made it harder and harder, impossible to do this constitutionally. So we're doing what we have to do. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck else do you expect them to do? Yeah, I mean, he's saying, yeah, he's, there's no other choice. Yeah. He kind of admitted uh, that the MK was their creation. He was there. Like, I did it. Yeah, that was me. Not secret. <laughs> and again, said, I, it's not like I like to do this. It's just I had no choice. We tried everything else. And he also said that, yeah, we actually are allied with the communists <laughs> on fighting apartheid. This is kind of a little bit of a mm. boo. He said, um, we, you know, I, I support constitutional democracy, a market economy. Oh, boo. So, mm, but maybe he was just trying to win people over. Maybe, know? maybe. Uh, he added, though, that like, what do you expect? You know, we we're teaming up the communists. They were the only political group in South Africa who had shown themselves willing to treat 
Africans as human beings. Yeah, yeah. Internationally, too, sounds like. Yeah, so he's like, I'm going to take friends where I can get them. Yeah, what the Even fuck though do you I'm expect? secretly a party Secretly on member. the <laughs> board, or on the, the party leadership. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he ended his speech looking the judge dead in the eye and delivering the passage that gave the speech its name. He said, during my lifetime, I've dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I fought against white domination and I fought against black domination. I've cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. Damn. So that went hardcore. And purportedly, he did not have if needs be to start with. (laughs) And his friends and his defense team and everything, they were like, my brother in Christ. You've got to put if needs be in there. We do not want them literally executed. Just be like, all right, cool. <laughs> Guy said he was ready to die. <laughs> and so he added it in there. He didn't want to, apparently, but he did. And <laughs> the result of the trial is that one guy gets his charges dismissed. That was the lawyer guy. One guy gets acquitted. Oh, Rusty Bernstein. Oh, Rusty got away again. <laughs> He's slippery. Uh, and <laughs> slippery Rusty. The rest of them were sentenced to life imprisonment shit so yeah mandela goes to prison classified as a class d prisoner the lowest grade this means you get like one visit and one letter heavily censored of course every six months whoa over time that improved but meanwhile let's get back to the anti-apartheid movement the rest yeah what's going on uh for one remember the architect of the apartheid yeah that, that douche Henrik Verford, he gets stabbed to death. Hell yeah. <laughs> Very dramatically, on the floor of Parliament. Fuck yeah. This is in 1966, uh, a Greek Mozambican communist named Dimitri Tsafendis fucking stabs him up and then, you know, gets apprehended and thrown in prison for the rest of his life. But, like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> Most of the press throughout Africa was like, good. They were like just publicly <laughs> just being like, I'm glad this guy died. He sucked. That's incredible. <laughs> now, oh. it does have that communist link, but this was more of a lone wolf thing. So he was a former party member back in the day, and then he did a lot of traveling and, and still doing communist causes and stuff, but he doesn't seem to have been connected with the party. It wasn't even, a, an order. <laughs> right. Even when he comes back, he avoids contacting the party or even bringing up the idea of what if we kill this guy because he thinks they'd be too chicken oh okay i thought he was trying to protect them no uh, that'd be cool too but it was just apparently the statement there is (laughs) they wouldn't have gone through with it basically so it's not really a party victory but definitely a dub for communism it's cool (laughs) so fuck that guy deserved Deserved worse deserved worse yeah true uh, but the rest, okay, the actual party. After the blow to its leadership that was the Rivonia trial, the ANC, the Communist Party, the MK, they're kind of stuck rebuilding. So it's kind of a slow chapter for them. Most of their leadership is in exile. The, the, part, the ones that didn't get imprisoned, yeah, they're in exile. The operations within South Africa are clandestine. They have 
a pretty limited sabotage campaign still going where they can manage to get that, but it's, it's not great. They do a lot of covert organizing, but it's either widespread and very unsexy of like <laughs> book clubs and, and meetings and pamphlets and stuff. You know? Oh, bummer. Uh, yeah. Or it's very rare, but kind of sexy of like blowing stuff up. So they do have kind of some highlights, but they're, yeah. they're pretty rare. So they're kind of stuck for the time being. Our main subjects kind of take a back seat to a new movement uh, called the black consciousness movement in like the late sixties to seventies. They stressed the need for psychological liberation for black pride and for nonviolent opposition to apartheid. Interesting. We already tried that last one, but okay. Yeah, that's essentially their weakness, but they're bringing it back. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe. Uh, Their main (laughs) organizer was a man named Steve Biko, uh, a medical student. And this was far more of an open and above ground movement than by this point, the ANC or you know, they're not doing covert shit. Uh, So, and it was also a popular movement among the younger generation. Because the ANC by this point, the Communist Party by this point, they've been doing it a while. Not a lot of results. Yeah. So, and they, and they just basically got crushed. You know, they're mm-hmm. barely there, hanging on. Uh, so the Black Consciousness Movement gets kind of a a ball rolling here. And then in 1976, they've stirred up the masses once again. Uh, and... The government decides to do some stirring of its own by mandating that black schools teach using Afrikaans and English in a 50-50 split language-wise. Like, that's the only thing you can know, you know, black languages whatsoever. They order it in 1974. It goes into effect in 1975. And by 1976, tensions have boiled over. And between... 10 and 20,000 students walk out in protest. Fuck yes. And they go to demonstrate in a nearby stadium and the police classic tactic. They barricade the roads. Oh fuck. The the students try to maneuver around this, but they've got more than just that road barricaded. The police send in attack dogs on them. Whoa. And you know, people are trying to defend themselves from it and they're like, Oh, they're attacking the dogs. So then they open fire on the, uh, protesters Jesus. and things devolve into a, a riot essentially provoked yeah. by the police. Yeah. The death toll here ranges pretty broadly. I don't know if it's a, where you take the deaths or what, but like time wise or something, but uh, one of the official counts is 176, but it ranges to more than 700. The cops injured more than a thousand people as well. Kind of a cool side story here out of this tragedy is that emergency clinics in the area, this is in Soweto, uh, it's called the Soweto Uprising. They were swamped with injured and, you know, bloody children uh, from the police violence. Uh, The police requested hospitals, they said, please give us a list of all the victims with bullet wounds so we can prosecute them for rioting. (gasps) Fuck no. The hospital administrator said, hey, docs, this is what the government wants. And the doctor said, hey, fuck off. We have literally no one here for gunshot wounds. We have a whole lot of abscesses, though, for some reason. But, uh, you know, mysterious. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. So they just wow. reported it differently and said, nope, zero b- gunshot wounds. Sorry. <laughs> That's fucking sick. So, you know, 
uh, people, humans being good humans in a shitty situation. Absolutely. Uh, the government, of course, responded with a huge crackdown. Uh, they felt like they were very embarrassed on the world stage because they were being brutal to their own people. It also increased kind of global anger at them, increased the hurt of international sanctions, divestments, boycotts that was dragging down their economy. And they were really feeling the pressure there. If you're ever wondering why there's such intense opposition um, by the people who back the state of Israel, whether in an official capacity or as lobbyists or as just as sympathizers or what, uh, and, and back there, you know, apartheid policies there and the, why there's such vicious reaction from them regarding like the BDS movement now of, of boycotts and divestment and sanctions of Israel now. And every little mention of that is, Oh, that's anti-Semitic and everything. That's why is because it can really hurt a country's economy. If they're not like the number one economy, you know? Yeah, totally. Who, I guess how, who and how were on these lines of, of support versus boycott for apartheid. Uh, so it grew over time. Um, and it initially was sort of non-governmental. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Just grew, individuals being like, oh, that sucks. Right. There was a very strong movement in Britain, especially because uh, of exiled Communist Party and, and ANC members up there mm-hmm. uh, who were kind of pushing that. Uh, it grew in the United States as well. And uh, gradually in the international community, I'm not sure like the breakdown yeah. of it. Uh, the U.S. is notoriously late to the game on it. <laughs> of course they are. But, you know, the people of the U.S. were actually, there. you know, there was a lot of popular support there over time. The government was super mad about people seeing them brutalize students. Um, <laughs> maybe you should just stop brutalizing students. Nope, that's not an option. Maybe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> instead, they say, you know what we need to do? Uh, the We need to ban all these different groups associated with the black consciousness movement. Uh, we need to arrest its leader, Steve Biko, and beat him to death. That's what they did. Whoa. Didn't get a trial or anything. He died in police custody uh, and did mass arrests of other leaders of these groups as well. Fuck. So they just kind of wipe him out. Um, meanwhile, this sort of provokes a resurgence, of popular anger at the government and recruitment for the ANC and the MK surge. They're still around. They still have a kind of dedicated party organization that they have been rebuilding. Whereas black consciousness movement, always very uh, horizontal, very loosely structured, is just kind of taken out. Uh, they, they still technically drag on, but they're greatly weakened. And so it's back to our main characters again, uh, back to an escalation of the fight against apartheid throughout the 80s. This is when they start doing the bombing campaigns and stuff. And... Things escalate back and forth. In August of 1982, South African police use a parcel bomb. What's that? Like a package in the mail that's actually a bomb. Fuck. uh, To assassinate uh, Communist Party member Ruth First. We mentioned oh, the, before. that was somebody's wife, right? Uh, yeah, that was Joe Slovo, who at this had point other is things the leader going of the party. For her, sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I mean she was a communist activist in her own right, a party member. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she was Joe Slovo's uh, wife, or he was her husband, as we should say. There we go. And they were at the time living in exile in Mozambique when they boom get uh, when she gets killed 
whoa, they got her in a different country. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. That kind of escalated things. You also had in the mid 80s a particularly grim chapter of this from the ANC's perspective or things that their affiliated members were doing. Nelson Mandela's wife, uh, Winnie, uh, was involved in a string of gruesome incidents of uh, kidnapping, uh, torture, and murder. Whoa. Her kind of group that she was uh, with, the like kind of her bodyguards and immediate entourage sort of thing, as well as just her supporters, were going after informants. Um, police informants, suspected police informants, anything like this. One thing that she supported uh, was a practice called necklacing, uh, which is a gruesome method of execution. Uh, is that like garroting? No, uh, content warning for gruesomeness. Yeah, this is going to be rough. Uh, but I'll just keep it to the bare bones of it. Uh, people are wrapped in a tire doused in gasoline instead of flame. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Winnie kind of said, that's good. This is going to teach people not to fuck with us. Fuck. Okay. And again, her group did more than that. Like Later on in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Commission they, they find her responsible uh like morally culpably sort of thing for mm-hmm. these for some of these things and her actions end up uh condemned uh by the anc mandela himself is like mm-hmm. no that's not what we're about that's not cool but that's that's some of the stuff they were doing again targeting quote unquote police people, informers sure. yeah or people suspected of that which you that's not the sure. thing you don't fucking know yeah this was part of a bigger movement that was being pushed for like part of it that got out of control but the bigger campaign was to take black townships back for the people to uh, the goal here was to make them ungovernable by the apartheid regime uh doing rent boycotts overthrowing town councils and replacing them with just like unofficial popular councils from people setting up like people's courts sort of like a, a soviets you know yeah, council sort of thing do that <laughs> and these courts, though, they also, like, meted out pretty harsh punishments to people. Oh, so this, okay, maybe you know, we shouldn't do that. The extremities of this is what sometimes people focus on. I think it's a a sad outgro- outgrowth of it. They really did damage people. Um, but it was, it to me, doesn't tarnish the whole project. No, no. I mean, you have desperate people, man. Yeah. Uh, the, the government was so freaked out about this, they declared a state of emergency which remember they gave themselves the power to yeah, do. Yeah, they were like, we can totally do this. Yeah. Uh, they detained without trial over 30,000 people by 1988. Uh, they arrested and tortured lots of folks. They censored the media. They pumped out propaganda to try to make themselves look better. Uh, and they, I mean, they just really rock, locked down the place. They got intense and things in South Africa got worse. People in South Africa got more angry at the, and the government wasn't helping. The international pain was getting worse as as their economy was slowing down the the boycotts divestments and sanctions were spreading they were a pariah on the international stage even reagan's united states oh in 1986 of course over reagan's veto they have to override it (laughs) Uh, they pass uh, a law sanctioning the apartheid regime of south africa wow 
Like that's how bad it got. They were banned from international sporting events. Like everyone was t- had turned on them pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But still, they were getting no major changes um, from their government. At this time, their prime minister and then president was a guy named P.W. Botha, which, of course, yeah, his name lends itself to both of these nuts. Uh, <laughs> which I don't know if he got a lot of that in that time. I don't know if they were on I that. hope so. <laughs> Uh, all they got were a few kind of moderate easings up of the of some of the elements of apartheid, you know, um, but nothing to nothing that would actually shift the power. Right. The power is where it's at is we'll we'll be a little nicer to you, but we're still going to be in charge. And at one point he says, yeah, I'd be willing to release Mandela from prison on the condition that he pledges to oppose using violence to further political objectives. Fuck right off. This is kind of what Mandela said, but in his own way. He, he, gives <laughs> he said his, it more pretty. <laughs> yeah, he gives his response to his daughter and says, My man, nah. the violence is on you. With democracy, there would be no need for violence. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the story of the fall of apartheid is very complicated. Negotiations and stuff. Big picture. Botha has a stroke, resigns, is succeeded by a guy named F.W. de Klerk. This is in like 1990 that he takes power and everyone's like, he's the fucking, he's the same guy. Like, this is just right. going to be the same. He just did it again. But he rotates completely 180 and it's like, no, actually guys, I'm, I'm going to be a reformer, even though previously he was a conservative. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm tired of this shit. We're going to repeal segregation. We're going to unban the ANC and the communist party and other parties that we've banned. And we're going to free Mandela we're going to free other political prisoners and restrictions on land ownership. We're going to give you a free press again. We're going to suspend the death penalty. We're, we're doing it new. Whoa. Okay. Was it just from international pressure you think, or? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, I, I think it was partially that it was partially that Botha had been in secret talks with Mandela to mm. try to kind of get the ANC yeah, they called it uh, talks about talks. Um, you know, <laughs> how can we start? Where you know what's our, what's our starting point here? De Klerk was like sort of frustrated that both of wasn't really running with that or doing anything. He would always kind of quibble. He'd kind of waver when the when the time came and be like, no, 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 we're not really doing. And De Klerk, I think, sort of saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, he was like, uh, we got to get out of this. Yeah, and figured this this the economic system here that we have. We're falling behind everywhere else. Uh, we need to get on a neoliberal train. And and, th- and this is just not working. Uh, and I'd rather go down in history as the guy that successfully negotiated the end of this than the guy that got overthrown and killed in a revolution. And so, I mean, they make huge changes there. Mandela is freed. The National Party government starts to dismantle the apartheid laws. And then they get into all the complex negotiation stuff. Eventually, this brings about the first uh, elections in which all races could vote in 1994. Of course, Mandela's ANC wins in a landslide. The Communist Party doesn't run separately. They support the ANC, probably because they have so much of their members in there. Uh, <laughs> and, and they end up forming a part along, you know, ANC, Communist Party, and the Congress of South African Trade Unions, they form a tripartite alliance. So the ANC 
is the one that runs and is the dominant party in South Africa from that election onward. And, but, but they, I mean, they do have a multi-party democracy. They do have other parties running, but they run with the support of, and then the government representation, like they get some of their ministers in important positions and stuff uh, for uh, the communist party and for the, the trade unions. So that's, that's called the tripartite alliance. Uh, but yeah, uh, they, they win a landslide vote. They write a new constitution. They get a cool new flag, which is, I mean, the, the new, the flag that South Africa has now. It's nice. It's got a lot of color. I like it. Yeah. That one's good. Their, uh, old one is so bad that it's now like a hate crime to display it in South Africa. Really? Hold on. Yeah. It's not very good. Oh, the, with three miniature flags in the middle? Yeah, I mean, it pick sucks. A flag, you know? Yeah, God, it's just a it's a hat on a hat. <laughs> yeah, so not a good choice. No, it's really not. Um, but that's that's kind of where the story ends. The Communist Party, like I said, is still in that in that tripartite alliance. Um, it's still kind of a part of it. But I would say that the the struggle for majority rule didn't end up being a first step toward a social democracy or a socialist state. South Africa's even under ANC leadership is still pretty neoliberal. The land question is not really resolved. Uh, the, the proportions there are still, uh, the, the white population has decreased, but they they still own something like 70% of the land. Whoa. And they're only like at 10 or 11% at this point. Yeah, it's it's still vastly disproportionate. Um, even when the government talks about like redistribution with payments and stuff, they really haven't followed through on much of that at all. There, there is majority rule, but it ha- I, I think the communists' theory that that was going to amount to more if only they had a seat at the table. The second part didn't materialize. The first part is great. We needed to get rid of apartheid. Absolutely, and they succeeded. But the economic part of that afterward did not uh I, I don't know if that it didn't materialize that worked and there's still i mean there's still a part of government there's also now a separate political party called the economic freedom fighters which is like a more strictly marxist leninist eh, which is technically the ideology of course of the, of the communist party as well but they're like they criticize them from the left and say kind of you guys sold out you're you know just cozy cozy with the government we want to be there and they they actually run separately they they do have seats in the national assembly and all this so maybe they're the cooler faction now but less so on the modern portion of it i just thought that the the history of this was so astounding to me how interlaced the communists were yeah like i i think I was kind of surprised, I guess, to me, it felt kind of sudden of like, oh, and then this guy decided like, okay, cool, we'll start having talks. But like, you have to understand that wasn't just like, he woke up one day and was like, yeah, let's do that. Like, it was international pressure. And that international pressure came from like, the escalating violence. And that escalating violence was like, funded by in a large part, like communists and and organized by communists. Yeah. And that, uh, that's a good point. Because that's definitely part of the calculus when you're saying, why does he wake up and say, we're going to make these changes? It's not just like one white guy felt bad. <laughs> right. It wasn't a moral thing, really. It was, do I want to preside over a crumbling nation because I'm going to be stubborn about this? Or do we want to make changes that, you know, his group didn't really want to make, but was the only way sort of the only way out of that without just more chaos and 
and the whole thing going down and and that only happens with that escalation you know and it's it's it did it wasn't always executed correctly but i mean i think it had to be at that point you're either just going to set yourself up to keep getting mowed down by the government or to actually take steps up to to put, to force its hand yeah yeah i mean i am very I guess, impressed. Like I I knew a little bit about this, but not like obviously very much at all. And the amount of, of opposition they face, the amount, like, I, I don't even know what the fuck, like where to even start of like, well, we're banning everything, (laughs) you know, like the resiliency, I guess, required to like push through that in, in many different movements working together. I think that's pretty incredible. For sure. So, Hats off to the communists of South Africa. Hell yeah. The unsung heroes in this, literally. Totally, totally. You you watch the Disney Channel version, it's all just like, well, we decided we're all friends. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's just like not the fucking case. Mandela told everyone, uh, be nice. Mm-hmm. Be peaceful. And I was like, you're right, we should be nice. Yeah. They don't mention the police gunning down students. They don't mention the police bombing people in, in Mozambique. They don't mention any of that. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought very cool hidden history. Extremely cool. I think this is a great example of of how to choose sides. <laughs> yeah. And and which which side was uh, you know, helping apartheid, you know, and which side was trying to bring it down. Like, you know, important questions to ask yourself. Why do they always side <laughs> with the powerless? Mhm. Yep. Always comes down to that which side are you on? Truly, truly. All right. Cool. Well, next week we're just shooting the shit. So, yeah, yeah I uh I think I have a list of topics somewhere already. So, yeah. Okay. I'm getting prepped. Yeah. (laughs) Like it. All right. Talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye. Almost just hung up on you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.